Holy Spirit, we thank you for being here with us this morning. In fact, we thank you for being with us all the time. That's why we can say all the time, you are good. Because your goodness is always with us for the days of our lives. We rejoice with you and in you into your glory this morning. And so open our hearts and minds to receive what you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Take a seat if you would. I want to begin as we continue our series on what the Bible says about, I want to talk about, just a brief reminder, this is a, a real stark contrast here of the opposing worldviews that we looked at so far when it comes to uh, creation. Here is the, um, this is taken from Henry Morris, by the way, the biblical creationist worldview and the atheistic or naturalist worldview. Obviously, we believe that man's created in the image of God and man is a result of random blind chance. There are huge implications for that. All right? Man is priceless and eternal. Why? We're created in the image of God, right? Man is purposeless and temporal. This explains why. Well, I'll get into that in a minute here. Each person is an irreplaceable, unique creation of God. Do you know about yourself? Did you know that? You're unique, you're irreplaceable, you're a creation of God. As opposed to each person is a replaceable chemical organism of chance. And so obviously, you know, man has no purpose here. Man is temporal, okay? No hope of the future, no eternity, Nothing. We go on and see this. Mankind is preserved by his creator and rules as God's steward. So only do you have purpose, you're given dominion, right? You're a ruler, you're a king. You know. I guess it would be the way of put it be that man is the, is the president and the woman is the vice president. They're both ruling, but they're, they're different, but they're both ruling. Right? Both are given that mandate. As opposed to mankind survived and become superior to all other life. Now, everything you've read so far um, can, from both sides, but particularly from this side here, this gives you the reason why the Nazis would do what they did to the Jews. Because they were the superior, nature had selected them, and they, could, they were living out their view their worldview. And there was no consequence, right? At least for eternity's sake. Uh, life has both meaning now and in eternity. What does life have meaning for us now? As, as, why do we believe that? The consequences are rewards, right? Because in the future, what's going to happen? 
you're going to give an account for your life. So it means something now, right? And that's what we want, right? Because we don't like the injustice in this world, and we hope that what? Justice eventually will be served, right? So it matters what we do now, and of course, in eternity. But the opposite side is that life is without meaning, and it ends with death. There is nothing else. That's it. Uh, God exists and is, all trans- and is transcendent to all that exists. God does not exist, and nothing exists beyond nature or the cosmos. That's why we, we hear the phrase Mother Nature, right? And what did I tell you about Mother Nature? She doesn't exist. There are no laws of nature. They're the laws of God, okay? Things are functioning the way they do because God said it was so, all right? The universe is ordered by God for eternal purposes. Therefore, find out what those purposes are and get and do the work of God, right? Man can depend upon that order as well. I can depend upon the fact that there is a sun, even though we didn't see it much this week, it's still there, right? And it'll rise and it'll fall or set or whatever. It actually doesn't do that. There are turns and so on. But I mean, the moon is always the same distance, so there's always the right amount of gravity and so on. There's always water and, and whatnot. The universe is chaotic and purposeless. Man can never depend on anything in the universe. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to serve him forever. Survival and reproduction is the best man can accomplish. Those are just all basic results of, a, of two different opposing worldviews when it comes to just creation, the implications of that. Okay? Now, when you see this side right here, you see an awful lot of that in our world today, don't we? This spawns off in these wild worldviews and, 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 and takes on life. But you have two conflicting views of man. One with a high view of man. You see that? And one with a low view of man. One that views man as fashioned in the image of God, priceless, eternal, irreplaceable, a ruling steward or a king, and preserved by his transcendent creator, so he may serve and glorify God forever. The other views man as a product of random, blind chance, purposeless, temporal, replaceable, without meaning, who only survives in this chaotic universe to eventually become extinct, to become nothing. Well, which view would you prefer? Well, this morning, we're going to take a a detailed look at the rest of day six of creation. And specifically, we're going to look at four blessings. So get your Bibles out, turn to Genesis chapter 1, verses 28 through 31. Verses 28 through 31. And last week, we talked about the significance of being uh, made in the image of God, that God said, let us make man in our image, and that that was really nothing more than God saying what? Now is the time to initiate our plan of redemption. And when everything that had been done in eternity past, the choosing, the names written in the book of life, all of that had happened. 
and he's making man in his image. It says, God blessed them, verse 28, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. But my notes in my Bible says, but you especially destroy moles. Yes. Extra special revelation from God to me. Then God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of all the earth, and every tree which has fruit yielding seed. It shall be food for you. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the sky, and to everything that moves on the earth which has life. I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Four blessings. Let's talk about the first blessing, the blessing of reproduction. God also gave this blessing to who? The birds of the air, the beasts of the earth, the creeping, crawling, creeping things, and so on. And it is a blessing. It is a blessing. But I want to begin this section by giving us a timeline on the last half of day six, because what did God do in the first half of day six? He made that vile vermin the mole. <laughs> and other creatures, right? The, the cattle, the beasts of the earth, and creeping things, and so on. Okay? And trust me, when I get to heaven, God and I are going to have words about the mole. All right? And so I'll say, what were you thinking? And I'll, and just joking there, but. That's what he did, we believe, the first half of the day. So the second half of the day, it's, it's, um, the focus is on man. But in order to give us a timeline of that, we're going to look at chapter 2. So turn to chapter 2, which is a, a long turn from chapter 1. Look at verse 7 and 8. I'm not going to go into great detail in chapter 2 because there's other stuff I'll go into in other sermons that will give us some unique insights. But it says, And the Lord God, this is on summarizing in a sense, not summarizing, going into greater detail of what we just read in Genesis 1, 28-31. Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. The Lord God planted a garden toward the east in Eden, and there he placed the man whom he had formed. So like the other living creatures, God breathed into man the breath of life. The big difference is that man is the only creation that is what? Made in the image of God. Now we also know how God formed man. From what? Dust of the earth. Now we know that the creatures, when they die, they go back. And so we also believe, as we'll find out, that he also created the creatures from the dust of the earth. He spoke, and as he's speaking, what happens? From the dust of the earth, these creatures are created. They're still matter, and they return to it a different form of matter when they die as we all do because when man dies he goes back to the dust exactly we also learn and this is FYI you can see it here that God created a, a home for man you see that a home for man the garden of Eden now, we'll get into that later. Would you like to kind of know what it was like and kind of maybe where it was located? Well, that's another sermon, okay? If you want that, we can go there. I'll do that, okay? Good. Let's 
Jump up to verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. That is a very bad translation of that. Okay. Basically, it means that man was to tend it. He was to be a gardener, but we'll get into that. Verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. Whatever the man called a living creature, that was his name. If you look at the original translation, he didn't right then and there in the Garden of Eden create these special beasts Okay, in, in the bird of the sky. He brought what he'd already created in the previous days to him. And now we know how were they created. Out of the ground, just like man did, okay? And how do you do it? He spoke it. The man gave names to all the cattle, and to the birds of the sky, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. And again, we'll get into that later when I talk about the creation of a woman. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. This is all happening in the last half, we think, of day six. Okay? Again, we will look at this in greater detail in another sermon when we study the creation of woman, but it's safe to say just a few things at this point. Four quick points. Number one, think about this. Every other living creature was created by the thousands. You notice that? All what the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the sky and the fish and all that stuff, okay? And they were created male and female because they were, the mandate was given them to what? Be fruitful and multiply, okay? And fill the earth. Except man. Man had been created singular, one. Number two, because man is created in the image of God, mean, what does that mean? It really means that man, he is relational. God, yeah, physically we look different, but God exists in a relationship. It's a Trinitarian relationship. And meaning, because he is created in the image of God, man was incomplete. So if, if what we mean by this is that, again, the image of God is that God exists in relationship, Man was created in his image. He was created relationally. He doesn't have anyone he can relate to now. Personally relate to. So he's incomplete. Number three, in order to fulfill God's mandate to subdue and rule and to be fruitful and multiply, he's going to need a helper. A female counterpart like all of the other living creatures. Can you imagine being Adam and you see, for example, a, a horse come up? Two horses, let's say. And you look at the horse and so on, you say, okay, he has an organ underneath him like I have. This horse, just looks kind of like this one, doesn't have that. He is noticing that. Male and female. There is no one like that for him. Okay? 
Number four, Adam then had to see this. This is the key point, that he is unique. He is special. There were different kinds of birds and cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth, but none of them were like him, were like man. Man is built differently. Man is self-conscious, has reason rather than instinct, and he would have been able to observe that, is intelligent, with the capability to think abstractly, appreciate beauty, to feel emotion, to have language, to personally relate to others, and most importantly, to personally relate to God through love and worship. I can imagine him trying to speak to these animals, and if you speak to a creature, I mean, do, do they understand you? No, they do not. You can through time and through, uh, the, they get used to your voice, you're a domesticated animal, and through your nonverbals and verbals and so on, you know, and learn certain words, but that's very, very, very limited, and that's the extent of it. And Adam is realizing this because he's innocent. He's not that, how old is he? If it's actually a 24-hour period, he is hours old, and he is processing all of this with his superior intellect that has not been tainted by sin. Okay, he's seeing all this. He's learning all this. Then God is ready to complete man. He creates a helper suitable for him. Now, that's not my translation. That's God's translation. And so immediately we see at creation a difference between men and women. Physically, we're different. Emotionally, you know, spiritually, we're all the same. There's physical differences, but now there's a difference between the man and the woman. The woman is the helper. The man is not the helper to woman. The woman is the helper to man. And to help him, they rule together, and they will fulfill his mandate to be fruitful, multiply, and fill all the earth. And so this nonsense about men and women not being different that is just eradicating our culture today, this transgender movement, all of that. There are two genders, male and female. Okay? Now all this happens on day six, and probably the last half of day six. Now Genesis 1, 27 and 28, is a summary of all of this, what we just looked at in, in detail. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Now watch this. Male and female, he created them. So all this had happened, and then Moses summarizes it in chapter 1. 28, God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. God could never say that to Adam when he was alone, because he couldn't multiply. Okay? And by the way, just so you know, we'll get into it in greater detail later, but this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She'll be called woman because she, she was taken out of man. That's a poem. He's just stunned at the beauty of women, of the woman. You've heard me say it before. I look out here, I'm not trying to insult you guys, but you don't compare to the beauty that we see in the, I see in the women. Which is kind of funny because it's backwards in the animal world. Most of the animals, it's the, the male. It is the, the, and so that's another thing that, yeah, anyways. Well, as you go through chapter two, you discover that man is responsible to manifest the image of God, to be king of the earth, to tend the garden of God, 
and do everything he can in leading and subduing the created order to put God's glorious power on display. And this is done through propagating, which is a nice way of saying having sex, human life with the help of a woman. Okay? So, so together they are, they were given the mandate to do what? To rule, to subdue, to be fruitful, and to multiply. But she is to help him, implying that she is not in any way different, but he, she has a different role. Okay? Any questions about that? Pretty basic. Let's continue our study. Let's talk about the second blessing, the blessing of dominion. Verse 28 of chapter 1. It says, And subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So verse 28 is simply a repeat of verse 26. Look at verse 26. And there's a reason why I'm doing this. Then the Lord God said, let us make man in our image. We talked about that last week. According to our likeness. And we would say man now means what? Male and female. And let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Now when something is repeated in scripture, it is never repeated just for the sake of repetition. I think what we see here is that God is emphasizing the importance of our stewardship as kings of the earth for which man will give an account before God. The dominion of man is repeated to Noah when he steps off the ark after the flood. Remember that? But there's an addition now to it. Turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 9. I think you might find this fascinating. Genesis chapter 9. Of course, what did God do during the flood? He hit the reset button. He started all over. And there are eight people in the ark, Noah and his family. And they step off, and this is what God says. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Does that sound familiar? Now watch this. Something new is added. The fear of you and the terror of you will be on every beast of the earth and every bird of the sky with everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are given. And so we see that there was probably some sort of mutual symbiotic relationship they had. That we go up to a mole, <laughs> it's going to scurry, scurry away. Back then, they went up to a mole or any animal, what would happen? It's like a domesticated animal, okay? They would just be there. There was no fear of man. Now there's the fear of man, okay? Secondly, the dominions extended to this. Every moving thing that is alive shall be food for you. I give all to you as I gave the green plant. So man's dominion now extends to fear and to food. Before the fall, evidently, we now know that man and the other living creatures lived in a peaceful symbiotic relationship, but now God has put the fear and terror of man in every living creature. 
This is why when one of these living creatures steps outside the bounds God set for them, remember that, God set bounds for those angels and they stepped outside of that and what did they do? They cohabitated with, with women and God said no, no, no and he bound those angels that stepped outside those bounds and they are now in that dark pit where they wait judgment. So when an animal steps outside the bounds, i.e. no longer fears man and maybe attacks man, or terrorizes man, that creature must be put down. That's what we do, right? This happened, by the way, last week in Colorado. Do you want to see this? Former Denver Broncos, there you go, Tom, defensive lineman Derek Wolf. Do you see this, Tom? Here he is. He tracked and killed a 200-pound, 8.5-foot mountain lion. That looks pretty intimidating, doesn't it? that was terrorizing a Colorado community with nothing but a bow and arrow. I mean, he just went up there with a bow and arrow. Here's what it says. Wolf said the huge animal had been wreaking havoc in a rural neighborhood, which it shouldn't have never been there. And it already killed two dogs while living under a woman's porch. Wolf took hunting dogs with him to track the animal. He hiked over 9,600 feet to kill it. And he's been through NFL training camps and so on. He said that that was... Those training camps were nothing compared to having to hike up and down through woods and stuff like that. He got beat up. He was exhausted. With a bow and arrow, he killed that animal. My thing is, where is it? just a machine gun? Bow and arrow? Take a machine gun and mow the thing down. What if you miss? Gee whiz, what is wrong with this man? Anyways, all right. Look at that. That's a huge animal. Now, man's dominion is extended beyond the green plant now for food. Man may now eat everything that is alive for food. Did you know that? This tells us that the first society was to be vegetarian, eating fruits and vegetables. And, of course, the animals then would also would have been vegetarian. But due to the total corruption of that first society that we went over, remember that, last year? I would wager that they were meat, some of the people were already meat-eaters because they already had corrupted and, and were disobeying God anyways. But what a wonderful blessing and responsibility to have dominion over the earth. But I think that God shakes his head in unbelief when he sees this. The people for ethical treatment of animals, PETA, founded in 1980, it's the largest animal rights organization in the world. And it opposes speciesism. This is all taken from the website. A human supremacist worldview. They, they oppose speciesism. A human supremacist worldview. Peter believes animals have rights, just like humans. They deserve to be treated like humans. This is why the founder, Ingrid Newkirk, said this when it comes to pain, love, joy, loneliness, and fear. Remember this? A rat is a pig, is a dog, is a boy. Now, that worldview stands in direct opposition to the Bible. Now, Wesley Smith is the chair and senior fellow of the Center on Human Exceptionalism at the Discovery Institute. Now, this is a secular organization. It's not a religious organization or a Christian organization. And in 2010, he wrote of the dangers of this worldview 
in a book called A Rat is a Pig is a Boy is a Dog, or A Rat is a Pig is a Dog is a Boy, the human cost of the animal rights movement. He wrote this, over the past 30 years, the concept of animal rights has been seeping into the very bone marrow of Western culture. But although human rights groups do sometimes focus their activism on promoting animal welfare, the larger movement they represent is actually advancing a radical belief system that entitles its followers to cross the line from legitimate advocacy to vandalism and to harassment and to even terrorism. Did you know that they would bomb medical research facilities? Granting rights to animals would inevitably diminish human dignity, and it's exactly true. He's got that right. That's a secular organization seeing the dangers of that worldview. Now that stands in complete opposition to what we just read in the Bible. What would Peter say about that mountain lion? It has a right to live there. And if you die, it's no different than a mountain lion dying. I think God sees that and he shakes his head in unbelief saying, I gave those to you. You are the king. They are your subjects. Why are you treating them like equals? They're not equal. And when God sees this, I think it breaks his heart on so many levels. It's a picture of an idol of ancient Egyptian gods discovered in Cairo. Now we've moved beyond animal rights now to the worship of creation in the form of living creatures that God has placed under man. Now the king of the earth worships his subjects. Romans one twenty three. you know this. And man exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. And it's just, I think God stands amazed how quickly humanity loses their true identity as image bearers of himself and degrades himself by worshiping and serving the creation rather than ruling and subduing for the glory of God. Let's move on to the third blessing, the blessing of provision. Verse 29 of Genesis 1. Then God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of all the earth, and every tree which is fruit yielding seed, and it shall be food for you, and every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the sky, and everything that moves on the earth which has life, I have given every green plant for food. Now you want to talk about generosity. Since Genesis records God's provision to man, and all of the living creatures, I immediately thought of Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount. Remember that? You don't have to go there. You can just listen to this because you're familiar with it. In Matthew 6, verses 25 and 26, Jesus is saying this. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life, right, as to what you will eat or will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? God created a planet with what seems like unlimited resources. Do you think we will ever run out of food? Well, it's a question that was asked 40 years ago in 1979. And here's the answer 
according to the United States Department of Agriculture. Now that is what? 43 years ago? Almost 44 years ago? Here's the answer. The world has more than enough food to feed every man, woman, and child in it. If the world's food supply had been evenly divided and distributed among the world's population for the last 18 years, now keep in mind there's only 4 billion people this time on the planet, each person would have received more than the minimum number of calories. From 1960 to the present, so from 1960 to 1979, world food grain production never dropped below 103% of the minimum requirement an average actually 108%, so there's a surplus. Thus, if a system existed today to distribute grain equitably, there's the word that comes out now, the world's four billion people would have available about one-fifth more grain per person than the 2.7 billion people who lived 25 years ago. So as far as potential food production is concerned, the world could feed every single person in it on the standard of the U.S. consumption, and who consumes more than anybody? Americans do. By using less than 10% of the agricultural land available on the earth. We could feed the whole world as good as we eat on less than 10% of the available agricultural land in the world. But that was 40 years ago, right? The population swelled to how many are alive today? About 8 billion, right? The latest numbers I saw. Can we feed 8 billion people? Well, here's the answer. According to Brian Lander, the World Food Program's Deputy Director of Emergencies, says there's absolutely no reason to have people starving to death today. There's enough food in the world to feed everyone, and that's why it's critical to act now to prevent starvation. In fact, the U.S. Department of Agriculture's latest World Agricultural Production Report, which is of, of Jan June 17th of last year, notes that total grain production is slated to be a bit higher this year than last. Now, we're coming off of what, folks? A pandemic, right? Wheat production looks to be flat, so it's the same. Well, both corn and rice are up a bit. And so, for context, since 2001, global corn production has doubled. Wheat production is up a third. Rice production increased 30%. And over that time, world population only rose by 25%. So there's always been more food than people. So God has abundantly provided for both the righteous and the unrighteous. Okay? By the way, why are people starving in other countries? And even in America, but in other countries for the most part. Because they haven't sought first his kingdom and his righteousness. That's the condition. You seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, what happens? Then all these things will be added to you. They've denied God. They've served other, worshiping false gods. And these nations suffer because they're not being blessed. What about the other living creatures? The fish and the birds and the, the cattle and, yes, the vile vermin, the mole. Do they have enough food? Every bird that lives in this world lives because of one reason. God gave them life, right? And God's promised to what? According to Matthew 6, 25 and 26, he's going to feed the birds, right? 
Now, do birds have, are they self-conscious? No. They have the ability to reason like we do? No. But they've been given by God an instinct, a divine capability to find what is necessary to live. And so God doesn't just create life. He creates life and then sustains life. And if you listen to this verse in Job 38, 41, it's fascinating. He says this, speaking of himself, who provides food for the raven when its young cry out to God and wander about for lack of food. Who does that is a question. Who provides the food for them? God does. But what are the birds doing, by the way? They're crying out. They instinctively are crying out to who? To God. And God provides. And if God is going to take care of irrational birds who cry out to him just through basic instinct, God is certainly going to take care of the rest of his creation, particularly the pinnacle of his creation, man. And he has. For over 6,000 years, or however old, the, the, you know, six, 7,000 years the, the whole the world is, or the earth is, there's always been, as I'm showing you, an abundant supply of food for his creation. Plants, fish, birds, cattle, creeping things, beasts of the earth, and man. Well, why? This is the last blessing. You know it, it's the blessing of permanence. It's Genesis 1.30, the last four words, and it was so. That is why. It was so. There will always be enough resources to feed the planet because he said he will sustain the life he created. And with that blessing, Genesis chapter 1 concludes with verse 31. God saw all that he made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Now it's no longer good, but it's what? Very good. I said it was good for two reasons prior to this point. One was there was no sin. That's why it was good. Number two was there was no death because there was no sin, so it was good. Now it's very good. What's the only other thing that we have added? Man. We make it very good because we're made in his image. Those are the four blessings that we have that I want to discuss this morning. Amen? And so obviously, you know, this is why the Psalms write about, talk about the creation of God. It should bring forth praise from you. So that's the same application point. This time you praise God for these blessings. The blessings of reproduction and of dominion. Right? Of permanence and so on. All those blessings. And so we have an opportunity to do that with this last song. After we sing this song... We'll take a five-minute break for those that are not staying for the annual business meeting. But we will start promptly five minutes afterwards because I do want to get everybody out of here and enjoy this, this sun. Because this time of year doesn't last too long. So please stand with me. Let's bless and praise the Lord with our voices as we close with, I think it's a song, Love Ran Red. So, Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for the words you've spoken to us. Thank you for your word, for teaching us. And I hope that as a result of this teaching on creation, we are we're encouraged and motivated to praise you because you've been so good and so generous to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.